0: Psalms chapter 37 this evening. And we're just going to read three verses. And I'm only going to read an extra one throughout the message out of the book of Proverbs. But I believe the Lord has a good message for us this evening. You know, all his messages are good. A lot of mine ain't worth preaching, but all of his are worth preaching. All of his are good. And I believe he's got something for us this evening. Turn to the 37th psalm. Let me get. Is anybody else hot? Is there anybody else in this room hot like I am? Yeah, there's a few of us. We're going to have to tolerate me drinking a little water. I hope that's okay. However much I drink is in direct correlation to how long I preach. So um, you can either bring me a big cup or just a thimble. Amen? Psalms 37 and verse 23 says this, "...the steps of a good man..." "...are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread." Let's read those three verses again. "...the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord." and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Lord, we thank you for the time you've given us. We commit these next few moments now to the preaching of your word, to the hearing of faith, Lord, to the surrendering of our hearts to your will. Now, Lord, we've not come to do this for ourselves. We've come unable to do anything for ourselves. Lord, we've come knowing you're able to speak to our hearts and to effect in us that which would bring you the most glory. We do ask these things in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we consider the few verses that are set before us this evening, there are a lot of outstanding truths that are presented to us. You know, oftentimes, as you read the Word of God, there will be one big main truth in a body of Scripture that is being presented in several different ways. And then there are times, like the verses before us, when it seems like you have a rapid succession of profound statements that present and paint to us a collage of, of truth, an ideal that is set forth by these uh, separate statements, and they're connected maybe in some sense, but each of them alone could stand as the text for its own sermon. And it's almost a little too much to take in when you consider the volume and body of truth that is presented in such a short uh, few verses. But I believe if we were to give an idea to this, as I've already mentioned, it would be this truth that as human beings, and not just human beings, but as children of God, and not just as human beings and as children of God, but as a group of people that on a Wednesday night has come to church because they love God, they could be anywhere else that they wanted to be, but they're here tonight because they want to walk with God, that there are going to be times in our life when we're going to mess up. And what we do in those moments will very much determine how the rest of our life is going to go. Now, I'm going to tell you that if your plan is to never mess up again, that's a bad plan. Somebody say amen to that. It's not that it's not noble to never want to make a mistake, but it's just not realistic that you're never going to make a mistake again. As long as you walk in the body of this flesh, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, as the psalmist calls it, fall at times. You're going to stumble. Now, I don't know anybody that falls on purpose, do you? Uh, That's part of the reason falling uh, is never a graceful thing. I mean, if we could plan it out, it might be a little more graceful, but most people look like a newborn giraffe when they lose their footing, amen? And uh, they, you know, I mean, all of a sudden they got like nine legs that they're trying to manage and... We, uh, me and, and my brother went up and hiked a little bit in the Smokies yesterday, and the first, uh, the, the first half of the trail, it was about between five and six miles round trip, the first half of the trail was covered in snow and ice. It's a little bit colder up there in the mountains, and then, of course, you're kind of down in a, uh, you know, down at the foot of the mountain, so to speak, at the first part of that trail. And the whole way, I'll go ahead and tell you, I was praying that I wouldn't fall, Amen. Uh, I even had a new pair of boots on that I was trying out that were waterproof, and they had like a rubber sole on them. And you'd think that have real good traction until you wear them. Amen. And then you know a lot of times that... Uh rubber sole does not have the traction that you wish it did. And the whole way, I mean, I was getting ready. And uh, and I didn't fall. I'll go ahead and tell you. I didn't fall the whole time. But we was, we was coming back. And I bet you we was within 100 yards of the, the uh, head of the trail coming back. And my brother looked at me. And he said, well, we've managed not to fall the whole time. At that very moment, I looked up ahead at all of the ice covering that bridge that goes right over top of the creek that runs beside the road. I thought he had to say it right now, didn't he? He couldn't have waited until I got on the other side of this icy bridge to say something like that. No, he had to say it right before I was getting ready to walk across. Well, we made it. We didn't fall. We didn't, we didn't trip. But one thing is for sure, you walk long enough in this life, you will. And we've all had those times. But I believe the psalmist is not talking about falling in a physical way, but he's talking about spiritual failure that takes place in our lives or spiritual falling that takes place in our lives. And he gives us some profound truths. And I want to give you four thoughts this evening. I hope they'll be a help to you. I want you to notice in verse 23, there is a word that brings holiness to our minds. Notice carefully what it says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Now, when the psalmist speaks of the steps of a good man, he's not speaking of the physical steps that he takes, but rather the steps of a man's life, the decisions that he makes, the paths that he chooses. And he says something that I believe can be understood in two different ways. And I believe God even means for us to understand it in two different ways. That's one of the beautiful things about Scripture. You know, oftentimes, if it said things in a different way, uh, it would not broaden the meaning, but it would constrict the meaning. As it stands right now, we can have two understandings of this verse. I'd like you to notice, first off, that there is a particular path laid out in the decisions that we make. He speaks of the steps of a good man. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not much smaller an increment or measurement for travel than that of steps. When we speak of miles that we've traveled, when we speak of great destinations we've gone to, we're speaking in the broader picture of life. You know, some of you, if you got the Facebook, you'll look on there and they've even got, I mean, you can track everything you've ever done in your life now and have a little event. And I'll see sometimes where people put on there, people have been married 20 years and all of a sudden it'll pop up. It'll set you like, you know, Bill Collins married Kathy Collins, like on Facebook. And I'll think, well, it's about time. Amen. After all these years. But that's not what they're doing. They're they're going back and they're marking an event that has taken place in their life. And if you read a little closer, you can tell that when you look on there. But people can put the places that they've been. And uh, they can put the things that they've done. We like to think of life in those terms. Uh, But I'm here to tell you that life is not lived in those terms. The way that life uh, takes place, it is not just Uh, a few large posters that mark events in our lives, but rather it's a tapestry of choices that we make day in and day out, that when woven together presents to us a life and the way that it's lived. The psalmist did not say the miles of a good man. He said the steps of a good man. It tells me not only that these steps have to do with our decisions, and there's no question about that, that that's how our life is made up, of the decisions that we make. And by the way, let me just exhort you for a moment on this. You know, we all have a tendency, we make excuses for ourselves. Somebody say amen to that. We all do. Me and my wife were talking the other day about kind of the way that we live, you know, life, and and not necessarily us, I mean us included, but just human beings at large. And we were talking about studying your Bible and praying and witnessing things like that. And uh, one of the things we noted is, you know, we have a tendency, how many of you make excuses whenever, uh, when it comes to witnessing sometimes? Do you ever do that? Sure, I do it all the time in my life. There's times that I should should be a greater witness. You know, I, I, I want to tell you something. There are times when excuses are acceptable. I'll give you, for instance, you know, we go to a gas station, we want to give out a track to somebody and, the moment that we step towards them, they jump in their car and begin to pull off. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that uh, I'm not advising you to run somebody down and beat on their window so you can give them a trade. If you do, don't tell them you're from Wallridge Baptist Church. Amen? I'm not advising you to do that. It might be that that would have been an opportunity, but that's a pretty good excuse. But you know what oftentimes happens? We have these opportunities set before us, and we have one or two genuine excuses that take place. And then, you know what we do? We back off, and we make a blanket excuse. And we say, well, it's just too hard to do this anymore. And then we get convicted about it. And you know what we do? We say, well, I'm not going to make any excuses anymore. I'm just going to start doing right. And you know what we do? We get into that same situation again, and we realize that it may not be viable or reasonable or feasible And so then we go back to the blanket excuse and back and forth and back and forth we go, rather than looking at the situation and saying, This, as much as in me as possible, I'm going to be a witness when God opens a door before me. You see, that's how life is made up of steps that we take. Each individual decision that we make. It's not just the big decisions in life, but it's the particular path that our decisions take. You see, I think one of the things the psalmist is saying is this, that a good man is made good because the steps that he takes are ordered by the Lord. I think it points to a particular path in our decisions, but I think it points to a purposed path by God's direction. You see, if we live our lives ensuring that the individual uh, decisions that we make are guided and guarded by the Word of God. In other words, I'm making these day-by-day decisions based on what I believe God would have me to do, whether it's to be a witness or to read my Bible or to pray, or maybe it's in individual decisions that have to be made a matter of prayer and seeking God's will and seeking God's faith. If I allow Him to order those decisions, then I can have confidence that when things get out of control, they must still be in His control. You see, I think one of the things the psalmist is saying is this, that a good man is a good man because his steps are ordered by the Lord. He allows the Lord to dictate and to run his life. And when he goes to take a step, he seeks to do the will of God. But I think one of the things the psalmist would also have us to understand is that a man that lives in that way can have confidence that God is working a purpose out in his life. You see, his steps, they're ordered by the Lord. You know, there's times that uh, in life we make very deliberate decisions, but then there's times when things happen that are beyond our control. We didn't plan for it to happen. We didn't look for it to happen this way or that way. Now, how miserable would it be to have to walk through life and not know if there was any rhyme or reason to it? I've got good news for you now. If you're saved, you don't have to live that way. You can have confidence that there's a God in heaven that sits on His throne that's in control of what's going on in your life. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you that that confidence grows greater when we're walking in the will of God. Because oftentimes when we're not in the will of God, you know what we begin to think? We begin to say, is this God's chastisement in my life? Or we begin to say, is this because I've stepped out of the will of God and these things are happening because I'm not allowing the Lord to order my steps? But for the good man that allows the Lord to order his steps, he cannot help but look towards heaven and say, Lord, you must have ordered this to happen in my life. I think that the Psalmist wants to point to us that there's a purpose path by God's direction, but then I want you to notice there's a pleasing path by God's definition. Look what it says, and he delighteth in his way. I looked at that verse a lot of different ways, and there again, this verse could almost be understood in two in two capacities. I think you could almost say. Uh, that the good man is delighting in the way that the Lord has laid out for him. And there's no question uh, that if you'll live and do the will of God, you'll enjoy it. Somebody say amen to that. I've never met anybody that did the will of God that didn't enjoy it. I mean, you will enjoy the will of God. But I believe what the psalmist is really trying to say is that when the Lord looks at this man whose steps are good and his life is good because he's allowed God to run it instead of him running it, that when the Lord looks at his life, the Lord is pleased. With what he sees. You know, I think there again, as we talk about those excuses, the blanket excuses that we make, well, I just can't do it. Well, it's too big for me. Well, I've, I've tried, but I always fail. One of the things I think that often contributes to that is a wrong perception of what God expects out of the believer. Let me tell you something we have a holy God, we have a righteous God, we have a God whose holiness is so rigid and unbending. That rather than just merely turn and look away and be permissive with sin, he'd send his son to die on the cross. But do you understand that God's dealings with you and I, in the midst, as far as the dynamic of an offended God and a guilty sinner, that dynamic has already been addressed by Christ on Calvary? God is not dealing with us in a punitive way any longer if we've been saved. God is rather dealing with us in a parental way now that we're saved. He's not punishing us. He's chastising us. There's a difference. Amen? Uh, He's not trying to get us. He's trying to get us to do right. He's trying to work in our lives. And you know what? Uh, Just as that dynamic changes, can I say this? That God's requirements change in our lives. You see, if we were to seek to stand through our own self-righteousness on equal footing with God, then it'd be a very rigid thing to try to satisfy the justice of His holiness. But do you understand that as that dynamic has been addressed and we now stand as a child before God our Father, I mean, He's given us His Spirit through which we cry, Abba, Father, that the requirements to pleasing Him have become very different. I think about the dynamic that I have with with my son. And, you know, I I think most fathers and most mothers and grandparents and on and on you could go. And even if you don't have children, if you're around children, I think you probably understand this, that that there's never an expectation for a child to be perfect. I don't know that I've ever met anyone that expected when they had kids that their kid was going to be absolutely perfect. Now, I've met people that uh, tried to act like their kids were perfect, but I think everybody understands that a child is going to mess up. I'm not expecting Him to be perfect in every way, but I do expect Him to love me. I do expect Him to obey me. I'm displeased when He when he obeys me. I do expect that He'd use some common sense. One of the most fun things about parenting is watching and guessing how a child's mind works. Uh, they'll do things sometimes, and, and you just sit there and try to figure out where the logic and reasoning was in in what they did. I do expect him to use what sense that God has given him. I do expect him to employ the the knowledge we've tried to impart to him in this short little time. But never do I expect him to be perfect in order to please me, because I understand he's not perfect. In the same way that God knoweth our frame that we are but as dust. You see, and you know what one of the problems is? We have this attitude, well, I can't be perfect, so why try? Why try? That's a way of disconnecting from the responsibility of the Christian walk. Well, I'm going to mess up anyway, so what's the use? But you know, the reality is it don't take much to please God when it comes to His children. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If you'll let God have control of your life, and that doesn't mean you're perfect, but if you'll allow Him to have control of your life, and if you'll try to walk with Him, I believe that's enough to please the Lord. Amen? I believe that's enough to please the Lord. Now, I understand there's a lot involved in that. I'm aware of that. But rather than trying to do this thing yourself and and impress God, why don't you just obey Him so that you can please God? See, the Lord looks at this man and He says, I'm happy with the way He's living His life. It never says the steps of a perfect man or the steps of a sinless man, but the steps of a good man are pleasing to God. You know what that tells me? That tells me I can live for God. I can live for God. And that tells me this, that that the, the measurements of how we live for God become very real and relevant things in our life. Let me tell you something. There's some people that fall constantly and fail constantly in their Christian walk. And though I may fall and I will always fall, that doesn't mean I have to fail in my Christian walk. I think we spend so much time talking about how big of failures we are, and I understand why we do that. I understand that we're trying to show people that it's in Christ that we are reckoned and justified. I, listen, I understand that. I I could preach out of Galatians, right? I'm teaching in Sunday school out of it. I understand all the, the dispensational and theological, uh, you know, uh, uh, minutia and quirks of it all, and I can debate all those things with you. I'm aware of all that. But I think sometimes we allow that to to... Pull the Christian life into a realm that's not practical and pragmatic. Because though all those things are true, it's equally true that God's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And you and I, we don't have to live as failures in our Christian life. We're always going to make mistakes and we're always going to mess up. But we can let the Lord order our steps. We can live in victory if we'll allow God to have control of our lives. That's not beyond our reach. That's, that's not beyond what God is seeking to do in our lives. And I don't say that to burden you. I say that to encourage you to know that you can live and walk for God. I think there's a word that brings holiness to our minds, but I think there's probably a word here that brings humility to our minds. Look at the next verse in verse 24. It says this, though he fall, though he fall. It doesn't say if he fall, it could, but it doesn't it Says though he fall. And it's taken for granted that there will be times of falling in our lives. I'd say this, that falling is an inevitable thing. The writer of Proverbs said this in Proverbs 24, 16, A just man falleth, what, seven times and riseth up again. In other words, I think that there's two things the writer of Proverbs wants us to understand from that statement. One is that it is a common experience to mess up. And we all mess up. There's not a person in this room that doesn't make mistakes. Everyone, you you could, and and, um, don't do it, pay attention to me instead of doing it, but you could look around at every single person in this room and you'd be looking at someone that makes mistakes on a daily basis. Every one of us does. But just because we make mistakes, we see that falling is inevitable, but failure is conquerable. The Bible says, he riseth up again. Now, I don't want to sound like a high school football coach, but you've heard it a thousand times. And the reason you've heard it a thousand times is because it is true that, it's not, it, it, that failure is not measured by, by uh, whether we mess up. It's measured by whether we quit trying. And that's equally true in the life of the believer. You see, the fact is you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. Let me tell you something. If you try right now, you can make a promise to God that you're going to read your Bible every single day of your life for the rest of your life. And you can promise God that. But I'd say it's very unlikely that you'll do that. You can promise God that you're never going to commit this sin or that sin, and while that may be practical about certain sins in our lives, if we were to try to say that about a majority of the sins in our lives, we'd really be making a promise that we didn't know for sure that we were going to keep, though we could keep it. We're not going to keep it. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. So here's the question. How do we keep from this thing being Groundhog Day? Amen? We just passed Groundhog Day, right? He said we was going to have an early spring. Boy, I hope he's right. Amen? I'd give Al Gore a big old kiss on the lips if we could miss winter this year. I don't care. I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready for spring to get here, all right? They say, you know, but how do we keep it from becoming Groundhog Day? I mean, how do we keep our Christian life from becoming this consistent and constant repetition of the same failures over and over and over and over again? The first thing you do is you acknowledge that you're going to mess up. If your expectation is to never mess up, you're going to live in constant disappointment and failure because you're going to mess up. That's inevitable. But the question is, what do you do after you've messed up? After you've fallen, what does he do? Though he falls seven times, he riseth up again. You've got to get back on the saddle. You've got to get back up. You've got to ask God's forgiveness. You've got to get back up. You've got to start serving God again. The devil is one when he gets you to quit getting back up. The devil is won when he gets you to quit trying. Now, we all have times like that. And we may think that we won't, and we may promise that we won't. I was counseling with someone this week about a, a situation, and, and somebody had wronged somebody, and, and I told that person that had been wronged, I said, right now, you think you'd never do what they did. But the truth is, it could have just as easily been you or me. Uh, we all could mess up, and we all do mess up in our lives. But what determines how the story is finished is whether we get up and start going on and serving God again. You see, failure is conquerable. You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to to live in defeat. Don't don't say that you're never going to fail, but you can say that you're always going to get back up again. There's a word that brings humility to mind, but I think there's a word that brings help to us, and it's found really in the very same phrase in Proverbs or in Psalms 37:24. Though we fall, what does it say? He shall not be utterly cast down. I think that phrase is interesting. And let me tell you why. Because if you notice, there is a shift in emphasis and focus upon who is the active person in this discussion. At the beginning, the active person is the person that's doing the falling. Though he fall, though he fall, though he fall. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way, though he fall. But then all of a sudden, there's a shift in who we're paying attention to. Now we're not paying attention to the man that's falling anymore. Now we're paying attention to the man that's got hold of him because he says he shall not be utterly cast down. I think that there's a proper perspective we need to have and it's twofold. One is this we need to understand when we mess up we may have we may have hurt our relationship with God, but we've not lost our salvation. We've not severed our sonship. We've not thrown everything away. We have a tendency when we mess up, you know what we think? We think, Well, I've done it again. And you may have done it again, but do you understand you say, I am I am an utter failure. How many of you have ever felt like that? I'm an utter failure. Let me tell you something. You've got a Savior that's seated at the right hand of the Father to save to the uttermost. Listen, you you may fall seven times and rise up again. If you fall an eighth time, He'll be there to get you up again. You may have let go of Him, but He's not let go of you. You see, there's a proper perspective here. You may have messed up. You may have made mistakes. But I promise you this, that far more damage will be done by giving up in your relationship with God Than would be by all the mistakes that you'll make throughout your whole life. Let me tell you something. If you were to live your whole life constantly making mistakes, you would still be in a better situation than if you made a mistake today and then quit on God. Did you get what I said? If you lived every day of your life, making a whatever it is, let's say you made up your mind. I'm never, going, I'm never going to say another curse word. If you lived your whole life, every single day of your life, and every day you messed up and you slipped up and you said a curse word and you asked God's forgiveness, you'd be in better shape at the end of your life than you would be if after the first time you made a mistake, you said, all right, that's enough. I'm giving up. I obviously can't live this Christian life. It's far better to go on than it is to give up. Always, always, always. You just need to have the proper perspective. You may have messed up. What has that proved? It's proved you're human. You may have made a mistake. What has that proved? It's proved that you need the Lord. More and more and more in your life, day by day. All of us do. Listen, we have this idea sometimes that after we got saved, that's it. We don't need the Lord and we'll see Him one day in heaven. We're done with Him. Listen, friend, you need God more day by day in your life after you're saved. Day, you don't start needing Him less, you start needing Him more. So what does it prove that you, that you messed up? That you're human? That you've made a mistake? That you need God? What does that prove? It's proved that you're exactly what God said you were, that you were but dust. And if you have the proper perspective, you'll understand that the same God that loved you when you were a sinner is the same God that still loves you now that you're a son or a daughter. And the same God that still saw value in you when, when He said you were but dust, now that you're a peculiar people, He still sees value in you. You may have messed up, but you're not utterly cast down. I think the proper perspective is important because it points to the powerful person that is making the difference. Look at the next phrase. It says, "...for the Lord..." upholdeth him with his hand. Why does he not utterly become cast down? He doesn't become utterly cast down because at the very bottom of the barrel, he's still in the hand of an almighty God. No matter how far you fall, you're still in God's hands. No matter how, fall or how, uh, how, how far or how many times, you're still in God's hands. I think about what the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy where it says, And underneath are the everlasting arms. You say, I'm pretty low, preacher. Well, that's fine. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Preacher, I've messed up. That's okay. Underneath are the everlasting arms. No matter how bad you mess up, God still knew about it. God still saved you in spite of it. God still loves you. And Christ still made the payment for it on Calvary. You see, your Christian life, and I don't just mean in a positional sense in terms of justification and who we are in Christ. That's very true. But but I'm talking about even in a, a practical sense. You understand that the Lord is both the foundation and anchor of your practically lived Christian walk. He's still the person. He's still the foundation. He's still what's underneath. He's still the basis. You see, the whole reason you got up from the altar and said, I'm going to live a Christian life when you got saved is because you were now in the hand of God and you felt like in His hand He would help you and enable you to live for Him. Uh, Most people, if they had enough sense about Him when they got saved, they understood that they couldn't do this thing on their own. I uh, you know, I and, and he's of course he's here with us. He he's big, so you know he's here with us. He couldn't hide if he tried. But Brother Bill has told the story time and time again that when he got saved that he uh you know, he said, Lord, I, I don't know if I can do this thing. I don't know if I can do this thing. I can't do this thing. And I think most of us would have a similar experience, that, it, whether at the point of salvation or, or very soon after, we acknowledge, Lord, I can't do this thing. I, I don't know how to be a Christian. I don't have, know how to live like a Christian. If you've not figured out that you don't have it figured out yet, you better go ahead and get it figured out because you're going to figure it out one of these days, sooner or later. There's none of us experts on this thing. We're all children trying to obey a father. And the whole reason that we got up off of the altar and said, Lord, if you'll help me do it, is because He said He'd help us do it. And so it's no different today. You've messed up. Well, that's okay. The same God that pledged to help you live the Christian life when you got saved is the same God that's still pledging to uphold you and help you live the Christian life. We see a word that I think brings help to our hearts, but then I, I see a word that brings hope and encouragement. You know, you might look at this and you might say, well, that's a good preacher and that's all good in theory, but what about my, is, that, is that true for me? Is that true for my life? Is that going to be the reality for me? Well, look what the psalmist says. He says, I've been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I would say this, that there is the witness of Holy Scripture to say that God will never forsake you. Though you've messed up, though you've made mistakes, though you may break all your promises God won't break a single one of his promises. The scripture is the witness for that. That's the basis, that's the foundation. I was talking with uh, somebody yesterday and we were talking about the the walk of faith and we were actually we were talking about Abraham and and what God did when he made the covenant in Genesis 15 and he and he goes through the has Abraham get the sacrifice ready and he's going to make a covenant with Abraham. Of course, Abraham don't know what he's doing. I mean, you know, he was a Syrian ready to perish and then all of a sudden God speaks to him. He starts walking with God. I think sometimes we give way too much credit to, to the spiritual light that the patriarchs had. I don't think Abraham knew what he was doing. I think God said to Abraham, Abraham, get a covenant ready, kill this animal and slay this animal and flay it in two and lay it on either side. And Abraham said, okay, I'll do that. And then Abraham sat down and said, well, now what do I do? You know, God wants to have a covenant with me. Well, how's how's God that's in heaven going to have a covenant with me that's way down here? God puts a horror of darkness over Abraham and he falls asleep. When he wakes up, he sees the the smoking furnace and the burning lamp going back and forth between the covenant. And that was God making a covenant with himself. And Abraham was included because he had prepared the covenant He was complicit in the covenant, though he did not participate in the actual making of the covenant. And the Hebrew writer tells us this, that when God could swear by no greater, He swore by Himself. He swore by Himself that by two immutable things in the which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a sure hope and a steadfast anchor for the soul. God made a promise to Himself. Let me tell you something, it's no different now. You understand that every promise, not just in the terms of salvation, but every promise that God has made, that He has recorded in Scripture, that is a witness both to you and to the God of heaven that God will do these things in our lives. I think there's the witness of Holy Scripture, but I think there's the witness of human statement found here. And I'll close with this thought. You know, the psalmist is speaking under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I don't know how often that David was aware of that. I think sometimes he was. I think sometimes he said things that even he didn't understand. But I think this is very much a statement of his personal experience because of the way he says it. I've been young and now I'm old. But he says, in all the things I've seen, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Let me tell you something. You could look around in this place right now. And you're surrounded by people that could testify that there are people that mess up and make mistakes. But that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess and forsake our sins. That if we ask His forgiveness, that you don't have, listen, you may have messed up, but you don't have to stay messed up. You may have made a mistake. It's Wednesday night. You may have come off a Sunday and God done something in your heart and you did good Monday and then yesterday, I mean, you just dropped the ball. You messed it all up. You got discouraged. You got in the flesh. You told God you given up or whatever it was. You say, I, preacher, I messed up again. Well, you're human. You're human. So go ahead and ask God's forgiveness. And then rise up again and say, all right, Lord, I'm ready to get up and go on and live for you. You see, that's what the steps are. That's what the steps are, the day by day. We don't live in the miles. We live in the moments and the steps. And so here's the question I have. What are you going to do this moment, this moment? Are you going to stay in a fallen condition? Are you going to stay in a fallen position? Are you going to say, by the grace and help of God, I'm going to ask His forgiveness. I'm going to rise up again, and I'm going to get back to living for God. I may be back in this shape on Sunday, but I'm going to make sure that Wednesday night into Thursday, I'm going to do my best to live for God. I'm going to get back up, I'm going to serve God once again.